Welcome nerds, now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now going back in time to fix all the things we ruined last time we went back in time. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we got a film review for The Flash. Plus, we're talking all the latest news and rumors in Nerd. Plus, I'm talking the Xbox Showcase. And we're recapping AEW Dynamite. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more Amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available for our $10 tier that includes all of the other tiers' benefits as well. That's right, Christian. We have over 20 Best and the Worst of the Week episodes up. And we also have Better Late Than Never reviews for things like Season 2 of The Bad Batch, uh, Megan, and men along with anime reviews you can find our patreon link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash amazing nerd show but all right with that said let's get into the news every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum we're not mild-mannered reporters we're mere podcasters with opinions warning potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead check timestamps to avoid spoilers you have been warned all right, up first, the MCU announces some major film delays. The sad but inevitable day has come, folks. The official Marvel delays are here. With the Writers Guild strike along with Disney's new attitude towards putting out the best quality they can, it was only a matter of time until we saw new dates be announced for all their future projects. And as per Variety this week, the new slate goes as follows. Starting off, Deadpool 3 is being brought up in the pipeline, filling the May 3rd slot. The film was originally slated for November 8th of next year. Captain America Brave New World that held that May slot originally will now be releasing July 26, 2024, followed by Thunderbolts moving to December 20th, 2024. Blades up next with a February 14th release in 2025, followed by the anticipated Fantastic Four film that is now set for May 2nd, 2025. Then comes the Avengers Kang Dynasty that has been pushed back another year to May 1st, 2026, and Avengers Secret Wars is now coming May 7th. 2027. I mean, just like you said, we knew these delays were, you know, on the horizon. It was just more of a case of like when they were actually going to announce them. Um, although I am kind of surprised that they didn't wait to the writer strike, like actually ended, um, because who knows when that's going to happen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like if this goes on for another, you know, four or five months. Is that going to push things even further back? So why even like bother announcing anything at this point? Um, it's just strange to me. And I know like part of the delays, you know, has to do with, you know, Disney's new philosophy on, you know, how they're going to release, you know, content when it comes to Marvel and DC, that they're going to be pushing quality over quantity, which I think is a great thing. Um, but you know, I just feel like they're setting themselves up for another announcement down the line. Um, and you got to figure, too, that we'll eventually get an announcement about delays for the, you know, D Disney Plus series, because um, there's no way that all those shows aren't going to be affected by this. Um, like we just found out uh, this week that uh, Daredevil Born Again is basically putting everything on hold until after the writer's strike. So that they've just shut down completely, I believe. 
um yeah so i mean it is what it is like i mean we support the writers um you know i i just want hollywood to fucking pay them to get yeah. this over with <laughs> because they definitely deserve what's theirs i'm just trying to wrap my head around the fact that like i'll be almost 50 by the time avengers secret wars comes out <laughs> hey i'll be in my 30s all right uh, <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> i will say like silver lining wise like all these delays or you know besides the avenger films are a matter of just like four or five months each so and like Deadpool actually getting pushed up is you know in my book fantastic. Um, I'm guessing that like production for that film must be a lot further along than anything else. You know, I would have to imagine. Um, yeah, because it got pushed up what like a good like six months, right? Yeah. So I mean that's awesome. But um, not to be a conspiracy theory guy, but I'm almost wondering too, like with the Avenger films, if like Marvel didn't see like an opportunity to buy themselves more time with the whole like Jonathan Majors situation because you gotta think right now they're kind of scrambling um you know with this extra year it kind of gives them leeway to kind of like wait and see what happens with all the allegations out there because just a full year delay is pretty pretty huge uh so uh but like i was saying like if it means you know the writers getting finally what they deserve and at the same time better quality films you know, then I'm all for it. Well, up next, Sony just announced two new Marvel project release dates. Sony Pictures announced that they're adding two more Spider films to their release calendar as these untitled films are slated for November 8th, 2024, and another one releasing on June 27th, 2025. No word on if either project is MCU related or one of the many projects currently in development like El Murto or the potential Miles Morales live action film or even that Spider Woman film that they said would be coming sooner than we thought but we may be able to rule out you know any word of it being a venom film as variety claims venom 3 is aiming for an october 2024 release with filming set to begin fairly soon for the project now on an interesting note they did make sure to specify that the june 27th 2025 film was a live action movie so that would lead you to believe that that first date that they announced is an animated project Mm. which has led a lot of people to think that that perhaps is the second across the spider-verse film um is that what they're calling are they calling it just part two or do they actually have it's beyond the spider beyond that's right because at first it was across the spider-verse part Mm -hmm. two and then they decided that it needed its own title whatever um but yeah so a lot of people are thinking that maybe that's actually the release date for that film. And then, of course, a lot of people are wondering whether or not that 2025 date is actually Spider-Man 4, uh, you know, Tom Holland's, you know, Spider-Man film. I don't know, to me, that that feels like a bit of a stretch, especially with all the delays that Marvel just announced. Um, we do know that they were in kind of pre-production mode um, for the film before the writer's strike. Mm-hmm. But since then, I believe Tom Holland's come out and said that, you know, production and any work has shut down because of the writer's strike, you know, on the film. That he's actually seen a script and, you know, so far so good. But then he kind of put it out there that he's not sure when any of this is going to come into, like, fruition. Mm. But, I mean, it's Tom Holland. So, (laughs) you know, he's not always 100% honest when it comes to these interviews. Yeah. He's also supposed to be taking a year off or something like that, but... 
you know, if they need them. <laughs> I'm sure they could convince him money-wise uh -huh. to, you know, take a little shorter vacation. But anyway, moving on to some DC news, it looks like the Batman 2 is close to casting a brand new villain. Jeff Snyder of the Hot Mike this week claimed not only is Two-Face going to be a part of the Batman 2, but casting-wise, it's come down to about two potential stars. One being Josh Harnett of Black Hawk Down fame, and more recently Kevin Hart's Die Hard on Amazon, with the other potential candidate for the role being Joel Edgerton, who you may recognize as young Uncle Owen from Star Wars. It's a flip of the coin right now as to who may get the role, but the film is set for October of 2025. So if this rumor is true, I'm, I'm really excited to see Matt Reeves' version of Two-Face. Um, you know, I feel like for kind of the grounded style that the film is going for, that, you know, Two-Face is a great villain uh, for him to tackle. Um, um, Joel Edgerton really impressed me as Uncle Owen in uh, Obi-Wan. So I, I feel like he'd probably be a great fit for the character. Um, now, for some reason, I thought Josh Hartnett was retired from acting. So I, I was surprised to hear his name. Uh, he's still been doing projects, apparently. Uh, he's been doing stuff with uh, Kevin Hart, as I said, on Amazon Prime. Kevin Hart, huh? Um, all right. I, I had no idea. Like, I thought he was dumb, like, you know, mid-2000s for some reason. <laughs> Maybe he hung it up for a short period of time or something. I mean, um, that's where most of his credits are, is, yeah, the early 2000s. And everything right? after that is kind of... I thought it just all ended with, like, Pearl Harbor, and that was that. <laughs> um, but uh, Joel Edgerton really did impress me in uh, the Obi-Wan series. So, I mean... I'd be curious to see what he would look like as Two-Face. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, no, like I said, I, I love the, the idea of, you know, Two-Face being in this film. Um, I think, you know, Matt Reeves could do a lot with the character in, you know, this Batman universe. Yeah, what's funny is I see, you know, Joel Edgerton as more of the, you know, evil side of Two-Face, whereas I see Josh Hartnett as more of um, the Harvey Dent side. It's it's like I, I imagine their two performances more playing strengths to those sides for some reason in my mind. I don't know if I've ever seen Josh Hartnett ever play a villain, honestly. Yeah. And that might be part of the reason why like, <laughs> you see him more as Harvey Dent than, you know, Two-Face. Uh, but you see Joel Edgerton as Two-Face? Oh, I could totally picture that. The voice and everything, yeah. Yeah, I could see that, the voice, right? He has kind of like, like a grizzle feel to uh -huh. Um He played a damn good Uncle Owen. And I felt like they really added a lot a lot of depth to that character, you know, besides being just a fried corpse in the middle of a desert. So, I mean, that's what we really do of Uncle Owen, right? Honestly. Uh -huh. Well, moving on, uh, it's time for our seemingly weekly Superman Legacy update. The Hollywood Reporter this week claims DC Studios is about to begin testing for roles of Clark Kent and Lois Lane, with Nicholas Holt, David Cornsweet, and Tom Burtney in line to play Superman, while Emma McKay, Rachel Brosnahan, and Phoebe Denever are testing for Lois Lane. Their sources claim that after these two roles are casted, Gunn and company will begin looking for Lex Luthor and members members of the Authority who will be introduced in Superman Legacy. As we know from the announcement made for Chapter 1, the Authority are actually also set to get their own film after Superman Legacy, which Superman Legacy is set for a July 11th, 2025 release. Now what's weird about this report is we've been hearing that Nicholas Holt is up for the role of Lex Luthor, but Hollywood reporters claiming that he's actually up for the role of Clark Kent. Um, I don't know. I don't really see him as, you know, Superman. 
I don't know how you feel about it, but you oh know, no, I I had the same reaction. I was like, Nicholas Holt, really? Yeah, I'm wondering if they just got their wires crossed when it came to the story, <laughs> because we've seen like numerous different outlets reporting the same rumors. So, but who knows? I mean, maybe all those initial reports were wrong, um, and the Hollywood Reporter has it right. Uh, when it comes to the authority, I'm not really surprised that they would introduce them in this film. Um, so when it comes to the authority, I'm not necessarily surprised that they would be introducing them in this film, just because they have a history in the comics of, you know, conflict with Superman. Um, and they play as such a good, like, juxtaposition, um, you know, with their method, their, you know, I guess, more edgier method of, you know, dealing with crime opposed to, you know, Superman's. So um, I could see that, you know, kind of playing into the theme of the film. Um, you know, which is, you know, Superman's legacy. Well, I'm assuming, you know, this film's going to be a prologue to almost everything <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what James Gunn has come out and said. Now, he did state this week that he considers Blue Beetle to be the first, like, DCU character, but not oh, okay. the first DCU film, if that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> So he's going to keep them is what, what the It sounds like it. So, I mean, apparently, you know, Blue Beetle has Gunn's vote of confidence. Uh, I'm guessing he's probably seen the film and he likes what he sees, which is, you know, great. So, so it sounds like he'll be, you know, sticking around. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're all happy that they get to keep their jobs, at least. <laughs> I just hope George Lopez gets to keep that haircut, honestly. <laughs> Gunn also this week gave an update on Peacemaker Season 2 during an interview with Michael Rosenbaum on the Inside of You podcast, claiming that he'll begin working on the next season after Superman Legacy as that is his next big project. Well, thank God, because I was really worried that the series would get lost in the shuffle, you know, since Gunn is now basically overseeing everything DC. Um... I could see him possibly spreading himself a little too thin, you know, trying to get, you know, all the other projects up and running. Um, I loved, you know, Peacemaker and, you know, the sooner the better that we get a second season. Absolutely. And I hope there's a new dance for the intro. I'm sure there will be, right? <laughs> there's got to be. Uh -huh. like, I wouldn't be surprised if that's not the first thing they work on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, moving on to some Star Wars news. It looks like we got an update on the future of Boba Fett. StarWars.net's Jason Ward say that they learned from sources that there are no plans for a Book of Boba Fett season two, stating a whole lot of nothing is heading in that direction right now. But Ward also continued to claim that we may actually be seeing the character in the next season of The Mandalorian. Well, if that's the case, I hope he gets like two whole episodes all to himself because, yes. right? <laughs> Mando. It's only fair. Yeah, Mando pretty much owes him that at this point. Um, <laughs> um, I'm not necessarily surprised that they're not going to do a season two. It feels like his storyline could continue within like, you know, the Star Wars universe in these other series. Um, you know, I was honestly surprised that he didn't pop up in, you know, season three of uh, Mandalorian. Yeah. So um, I will say I'm excited to see Morrison uh, play live action rocks in the upcoming uh, Soka series, um, which is right around the corner. So it looks yes. like Filoni and Favaro's, you know, going to be keeping him busy, you know, in the meantime. So, um, yeah, he, he's not going to be looking for work anytime soon. Well, sticking with Star Wars, it looks like we have some casting news for the upcoming Ray led Star Wars film. 
It's rumored that in Charmin Obeyed Shinoi's future Star Wars film following the events of Rise of Skywalker that we may be getting Idris Elba in a villain role according to industry insider My Time to Shine Hello. This would put him across Daisy Ridley who's set to reprise her role as Rey in the film. Now when I initially saw this story I was a little stunned because like I could have sworn that Idris already had been in like a Star Wars film. <laughs> Um, just because, like, I feel like he's in, like, every franchise at uh -huh. this point. But I guess, you know, he hasn't been, which is surprising. Uh, if you can cast Idris Elba in anything, you fucking cast him. So I'm all for this, especially playing the role of a villain. Yes, I mean, longtime listeners know, you know, Idris Elba is our go-to. Yes. If, if we need an actor, we're going to him. Yes, we <laughs> worship at the altar of Idris Elba. So. <laughs> I'm still holding out for him eventually playing Jon Stewart. Um, you know, he might have <laughs> aged himself out of the role at this point, but, you know, that's not his fucking fault. I, I, I feel like with the aging nowadays that they can pull it off. Come on. Let's make that if happen. If anything, he can be a variant, right? right? Like, come on. Let's do this. Well, speaking of amazing actors, uh, it sounds like a pretty damn good one might have joined Radio Silence's upcoming Universal Monster movie. Deadline reports that Giancarlo Esposito has joined on to Scream directors Matt Bettinelli, Open, and Tyler Gillette's untitled Universal Monsters film. Little is known about the project outside of several cast members like Kathy Newton and more, and that the film is set for April 19th, 2024. But I do have to say, John Carlo, as any Universal Monster, would be an entertaining watch. I agree 100%. Um, I would love to see John Carlo as Dracula, and I would love to see John Carlo, honestly, as Van Helsing. So, um, <laughs> I mean, hell, I could even see him as like Henry Frankenstein. So, um, there's nothing that dude can't do so you know if you just like idris if you could fucking cast him you cast him i mean hell if we hadn't done an uh an invisible man already i mean john carlo as like the maniacal version of that character yes yes, yes in like the claude <laughs> reigns role uh -huh. yes absolutely no there's not much that he can't pull off so um and i'm still holding out hope that he ends up being the mcu's professor x so um yeah I mean, I have my favorites, obviously, and, you know, Giancarlo's <laughs> one of them. Well, lastly, it looks like we finally have a release date for Fede Alvarez's upcoming Alien film. 20th Century announced this week that Fede Alvarez's Alien film will be released August 16th, 2024. The film is said to go back to its roots with the xenomorph hunting down some untrained young adults this time around instead of the usual space marine. So in my book, this is good news. Um, I love Aliens, but when push comes to shove, I think I actually prefer the first film. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of that's because it's much more of a horror movie. Um, I mean, for me, all those elements just check the right boxes um, as a horror fan. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, that's not to blasphemy aliens. It's a fantastic film. But to me, it's much more of a sci-fi film where, you know, Alien is much more a horror movie. So, mm -hmm. and I'm always going to, end up on that side of the fence i guess uh but yeah no i i can't wait to see what you know fede has in store for us um whatever it's going to be it's going to be fucking brutal i guarantee that so um the dude you know does violence well on film And now for the nerds review of The Flash. Light spoilers ahead. And now, our feature presentation. For an 
territory. Batman, what do we do? We try not to die. Are you ready? Ready. Let's go. Barry Allen uses his super speed to change the past, but his attempt to save his family creates a world without superheroes, forcing him to race for his life in order to save the future. The Flash is directed by Andy Muschietti and stars Ezra Miller, Michael Keaton, and Sasha Cal. So this was a film DC initially had a lot riding on as they had been treating it like it's, you know, a soft reboot for the universe they had created. And I could really see the pieces there that would have, you know, kickstarted a new journey for the previous regime. But after the changing of guard um, with Saffron and Gunn now taking over, it was pretty ambiguous where this film would now, you know, take us after delays and reshoots we finally got this one in the theaters and i wasn't disappointed by the overall tale however those who know me no, I can't overlook the visual effects, which greatly dampened my experience with The Flash. But before we talk CGI, I will give Andy Machete and company, you know, props for putting together a you know multiversal time travel story based around Flashpoint and working in Flash's origin story as well, all in a kind of comprehensible and fun film. Ezra gave their best, you know, performance as Barry yet, giving us a dual performance as two versions of Barry in this film both very distinct from one another as they both had you know very different upbringings at times i will say things got a little exposition heavy with you know how much they had to explain to move through all this story and I do feel like there's a couple story beats that could have been handled a little bit more naturally in the world building sense. But at the same time, there was a level of like self-aware humor that really worked towards Ezra's version of Barry and made for a you know much lighter experience rather than you know things being taken too seriously and making my head itch from all the you know possible time travel issues that could arise. With that said, The Flash's origin story was well handled in a way that naturally fit with this story which this movie could have easily gotten, you know, overcrowded and convoluted, but I never felt that way throughout its runtime. If anything, I wish I had, you know, gotten a chance to spend a little bit more time with some of the side characters, you know, like Supergirl and Batman. But as far as they focus on The Flash, I thought they did a good job there. Michael Keaton's Batman was definitely a major highlight of this film. They knew it was going to be, and they went all in with the classic score being put in this and getting plenty of fun, nostalgic nods. Though I could argue there were some cringy force lines in this film, but still getting to see this version of the character whoop ass was super enjoyable. Kara, however, did not get enough screen time for me personally. I feel like maybe there's a part of her tale that was left on the cutting room floor as she starts off with a very compelling and different take on humanity than we've seen with Superman in previous films. And in the end, I felt like it was kind of solved a little too quickly to move the story along. But that's probably as you know close to spoilers that I'm gonna get into here. Cause the other real problem for this film and problem for Supergirl came down to the CGI, which just felt so unnatural and was so heavily used for action sequences throughout the entire film. All of Kara's fights are CGI. You know, every impact seemed so poorly animated with each long segment of blows that we got to see. And even outside those heavier sequences, the more simpler side of the visual effects also seemed a little bit outdated. As when we got moments in like well-lit areas, blended effects for the two berries standing next to each other just felt off. 
Like it seems like they chose in a few scenes to superimpose Ezra's face or likeness onto another actor instead of having them fully there to do the performance over again in the same shot. And because they decided to do it that way, it started to look very uncanny valley at times. Like I was genuinely surprised because I felt like we had at least mastered this to some degree in our film techniques lately, you know, to, to avoid this kind of look. I kept staring at the edges of Ezra because I kept seeing different lighting on the two characters. But then we get to the you know speed force sequences that have been kind of making the news as as of late because Andy Muschietti has come out and said you know they were meant to look weird. Now I will say I think conceptually the speed force sequences could have been amazing, but execution wise the CGI just did not match what they were going for, and I'm very confused why they chose fully rendered CGI versions of the actors that they actually did have for these moments instead of reworking you know the actual footage because they just ended up looking so weird in the end that it took me out of the film and I imagine it could easily take anyone else out of the film for some of the most dramatic moments in the story. And again, to clarify and try my best to stay away from spoilers, I'm not talking about, you know, some of the Easter egg moments we got in this film. For those who've seen it, I'm just talking about the actors that we actually had in the movie being fully computer animated for these sequences. You know, it was moments like those that really just kind of rivaled kind of the bad choices that we saw in Ant-Man this past year. You know, I don't know if Warner just has kind of a bad visual effects team as I've often complained about their you know, films having questionable CGI, but these effects just were not good, whether the director intended it to look this way or not. And while I personally don't believe that you know, the CGI in this ruined the film at all, it just definitely brought down my overall enjoyment, as I was constantly asking why did they do it this way. I enjoyed the performances, I enjoyed the story, and thought it had a strong enough ending, but too many times I was distracted by poor CGI in this film. I mean, the opening sequence alone had me concerned, because the design choices just were so unhuman. But because the performances were still, you know, decent, and because the story still came out okay, I'm still going to be giving the film a solid B. All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins 
probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. So this past week, we continued our watch of the Summer Games Fest and got a good look at the future of gaming. And boy, does it seem bright, having written down 20 plus titles that I'm personally interested in that are coming out over the next two years. But I don't have all the time in the world to break down each of those titles. So I'm going to you know, primarily focus on some of the bigger announcements we got out of the Xbox Showcase and Ubisoft Forward. Um, the Xbox Showcase wasted no time getting right to business with three big titles off the bat. First of which being a first look at Fable's next title with the It Crowd's Richard um, Aode playing a giant. Um, no idea if this game will look anything like this CG trailer, but I feel like it's entirely plausible. Fable is one of those games I've never, you know, considered playing just mostly because I wasn't ever interested in how it looked. So maybe, you know, a fresh coat of paint will be what motivates me to give this one a try. I've heard good things, just never been interested. Also a big one that was shown off at the beginning of this press conference was from Ubisoft of all people as they have a Star Wars game coming out called Star Wars Outlaws, which on Monday at Ubisoft Forward, we got to see hands-on gameplay. Now I'll be completely honest, I totally forgot Ubisoft was given a license to make their own Star Wars game. So I was very much taken aback at the announcement alone, but then they showed us what seems to be Jedi Fallen Order as a Han Solo simulator, which really was basically what the gameplay looked like. And I was extremely extremely impressed by it. You know, from gunfights to small choices you'll have to make that might change how the story plays out and to even see, you know, some space combat, Ubisoft seems to be giving this their best shot and really hoping that this will make a lasting new franchise. All with the team at Massive. That is surprisingly the, you know, people that were behind the division, which for me wasn't a game that I was all too fond of. But in this experience, you'll be playing Kay Vess during the little space between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. She is, as the game is called, an outlaw, probably in over her head as she begins her journey heisting and pissing off the Empire. You'll also, of course, have a small animal companion named Nyx that can perform various tasks for you. The gun gameplay you know, looked very fun and authentic to Star Wars as she dispatched Pikes looking straight out of Book of Boba Fett. I gotta say, I'm usually not the biggest fan of the Ubisoft experience, but this looks fantastic, so I'm excited to learn more about it. The game is set for next year. 
we finally got a new trailer for Avowed from Obsidian, which is their next big fantasy RPG. Set in the same world as Pillars of Eternity, it really looks like another Skyrim entirely, which I can't say is a bad thing as I still play Skyrim to this day. But we got to see some magic combat and um, you know some of the beasts that you'll be fighting with also the trailer you know showing a heavy focus on player choices affecting the world. Will you be their savior or downfall? You know, I got a bit more of a, a serious version of Outer Worlds vibe from, you know, the way that the narrator was speaking throughout it. But this game is set to come out next year. A game I really loved checking out this past year was Hellblade, so I was excited to get a new trailer for Hellblade 2. Even though it did not show off as much as the first trailer, this new one brought the hell of their incredible sound design to the forefront as the voices were back taunting and prodding at Senua's choices. The game's updated visuals continue to be breathtaking and I can't wait to know a little bit more about the game. Not that it will actually help me while I'm playing as, as I'm still not sure what happened in the first game. Hellblade 2 is set for next year. I of course also can't jump past um, the Phantom Liberty expansion for Cyberpunk 2077, the official release date being September 26th, which means a lot of those rumors for a summer release were a bit off, but at least I'll have you know some time to finish my third playthrough. Um, those who have gotten their hands on it call the 1.7 patch coming with it a total upgrade for the game, saying they should have named it actually 2.0, with improved police and gameplay altogether with a new leveling system and more. This new adventure sees you having to figure out, you know, who to trust as different factions and people fight over what to do with the president of the new USA who has been brought down over Dogtown, a new area that you'll be able to play in. I'm super excited for this. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Cyberpunk 2077. I've been watching and, you know, the growth of the you know, modding community for it and just excited to see what the future holds. It seems that CD Projekt Red is interested in continuing this franchise you know with the second game in development so hopefully the story for this you know new expansion is at least worth the probably 35 dollars price tag that they're putting it out for you know i hope it's a good long story element that's added to it um we also heard that you know choices made in this could possibly affect and or add a new ending to the game as well so we'll see what happens before I move into the big one that I want to talk about, another game at the Ubisoft Forward I wanted to at least mention was Assassin's Creed Mirage, as the gameplay really just hit every nostalgia button I have for the franchise, as it looked truly like an updated version of the first title, and may be my personal first return to the franchise in over five years. Watching this assassin run through the streets and you know, plot of course to his assassination just looked picture perfect and just as I remember the original games playing. There was also a couple of like VR experiences that they're working on. You know, they have the, you know, kind of a fake version of the Animus called the Nexus um, that you'll be able to play in VR, which I think is a smart way to um, go about doing VR content with Assassin's Creed. But we'll see how in depth that really is. Assassin's Creed Mirage though comes out on October 12th of this year. Honestly, there is a lot of games coming out this fall, but the one that's probably going to be dominating all my free time from September to the end of the year will be Starfield. Following the Xbox showcase was the Starfield Direct, which was about a 40 minute presentation of some of the wildest shit I've ever seen from a Bethesda title yet. 
I mean, there's truly enough new aspects to bring in newer fans while also capturing that Bethesda feel, especially as they even repeated themselves multiple times. But the sheer vastness of this game is almost too overwhelming to comprehend. If there is something that you wanted to do in an outer space game, it's here. Now, yes, like most people, um, in the first few moments, uh, I was directly reminded of No Man's Sky. I mean, the gameplay even showed you shooting a laser at some rocks to collect resources. It seemed like it was straight out of No Man's Sky. And I feel like it's warranted to make those jokes and comparisons and call it No Man's Skyrim. I mean, it's completely valid. But then it's the aspects that weren't like No Man's Sky, from the gunplay and social interactions with NPCs, you know, even being able to visit your own goddamn parents based off the traits that you choose at the beginning of the game. I mean, there was literally so many possibilities to add to your gameplay that would give you an individual experience outside of what anyone else would experience in their own playthroughs. I was simply amazed and have personally watched the presentation of like five times by now as I'm deep on that hype terrain at this point. Like it's getting the cyberpunk levels of bad of how much I want to like pre-order and buy all the ex extra bullshit at this point. But at least with a Bethesda title, I have a good idea of what I'm getting myself into. You know, I there has never been a solid Bethesda launch. Like I can't remember the last time a Bethesda game dropped and it didn't come, you know, plagued with issues on day one. And especially with a game that is this size, there's no way that there isn't going to be, you know, a ton of bugs in it as well. But at the same time, I know I'm going to have a fun time playing it no matter what. I know that there's going to be something that I can enjoy in there. Every bit of customization, every bit of gameplay that they've shown, it just speaks to me on another level uh, as far as gaming goes. So I personally can't wait to get my hands on it on September 6th of this year. But really that's only a small number of the games that I'm personally excited for. And if you wanna know more about those games that I had on my list, you can check out our live reaction streams that are still available on Twitch by checking out our VODs. Um, this upcoming weekend, I believe I'm going to be doing a night stream for Saturday as I may have to work in the morning. But with that said, we're also trying to finish up our journey in Jai Survivor pretty soon um, so we can head back to Horizon. And at the end of uh, the month, I'm looking to start AEW fight forever so I'm trying to finish you know some of these journeys we've begun so I can you know fill in so with more games that are coming out this summer um, we also tried out uh, Lies of P recently which is straight up Elden Ring you know goodness and we'll probably take another stab at the demo when we get a chance also Steam is doing their like game trial week on um, starting on the 19th I believe or just starting next week in general so there's probably a couple demos that we're gonna be trying to check out and we might have to do a bonus stream um, to fit some of those in so definitely check out if you want to know what's going on of course just head over to twitter and check us out at amazing nerd live for all the updates that with the streaming side of the show and now a quick word from our sponsor manscaped this is a public service announcement manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new weed whacker 2.0 go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your south pole with their revolutionary grooming products the new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERDSHO for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped. So why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. 
It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric beard hedger. The beard hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped Beard Shampoo and Conditioner, Beard Oil, and Beard Balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manhole. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below the waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. The only thing that's certain about CM Punk right now is that nothing's certain. I'm coming back for the same reasons I came to AEW in the first place. I, I got scores to settle. There's still things left to do. Saturday, the 17th of June, collision at the United Center. I won't know what I'm gonna do or say until I have that microphone in my hand. I have a lot of things to get off my chest. All right, Christian, so this past week's AEW Dynamite was white hot. Probably the best Dynamite of the year. Which means, of course, Christian didn't watch it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is yeah, because that, that's really been the pattern lately. Um, <laughs> so uh, hopefully you do get a chance to go back and, you know, check it out. Because, I mean, like I said, I really do feel like this is the best show of the year so far. Um, they really just clicked on all cylinders. So, like, if you haven't seen the show yet, definitely go ahead and check it out. Um, they did just a great job of really setting the table for, you know, multiple things that they've got coming up, um, you know, with, you know, Collision and, you know, uh, Forbidden Door. Um, and you could even see kind of like the seat that they're sowing for, you know, the upcoming uh, All In um, you know, pay-per-view or I guess it's not a pay-per-view yet. They haven't announced how we're going to be able to watch it, but you know, the event, <laughs> if you will, at Wembley. So, um, but yeah, no fantastic show. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, what do we have first, Christian? Um, you saw the MJF versus Adam Cole match. It was a 30 minute time limit. It's so draw. funny because I didn't see this coming. Uh, whatsoever like all week I was trying to figure out exactly how they would get themselves out of this match um, uh -huh. I, I figured it'd be a screwy finish because I just didn't see Cole beating MJF here 
Um, especially since, like, you know, we know that he's probably not going to face him at Forbidden Door just because that's not the theme of the show, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, they've got, what, three months to the next pay-per-view? So I couldn't see Cole getting the number one contendership so easily. Um, and, you know, I just thought, okay, well, they've got to prolong this. And, duh, fucking time limit draw. They've done it in the past, right? Now, I will say it did actually dawn uh, on me when I heard Justin Roberts make uh, a 10 minute announcement. I was like, oh, shit, they're probably going to go to a time limit, you know, draw, uh, which got me excited, honestly. Like, I love a good draw and the, the fucking match itself was pay-per-view quality. Um, you know, th- by far, I feel like Cole's best match so far in AEW. Um, MJF really brought his A game. Um, it, it was a damn good match and like they had the best crowd possible, um, for this thing. DC was like ready for some AEW. Um, they like stood on their feet the entire night, um, and really were popping for everything. So they had a great crowd, um, which makes all the difference in the world. Uh, but yeah, no, if you haven't seen this match, definitely go ahead and check it out. It was really well put together. I mean, the structure of the match, they like started things off very slow, um, you know, with kind of a classic type of pacing, um, you know, something that I'm not surprised, you know, of, you know, with MGF, you know, being in the ring. Um, but then, you know, you saw them kind of like kicking into next gear, like halfway through the match to the point where we see like MGF putting Cole through a table on the outside of the ring uh, with an elbow drop from the top rope. Um, huge spot, um, you know, something that we don't see MJF do very often. Um, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. just, you know, really well put together match. Um, we see MJF, of course, try to cheat. It backfires. We have a ref bump. Um, you know, Cole ends up, you know, getting uh, the title in his hand, which MJF was trying to use to like pull a Eddie Guerrero spot and frame Cole. Um, but it, you know, completely blew up in his face when the ref just didn't get up in time. <laughs> and Cole, you know, knowing his roots as a heel, you know, isn't afraid to use the title, you know, when need when needed. So uh, that's absolutely what he did. Um, it looked like, you know, Cole was going to actually, you know, pull out the victory. Um, you know, he was uh, MGF, uh, you know, had another chance at cheating, uh, pulling out his, uh, you know, uh, AEW Dynamite, you know, diamond ring. And just as the ref's hand was about to go down for the three counts, the bell rings and the crowd just gasps in horror. <laughs> Damn. It's really well timed. <laughs> now, I have no idea if, you know, they actually were true to the time. Like if it was actually right at 30 minutes, I'm sure they probably just, uh. you know, gave the instructions to the timekeeper to ring the bell, you know, before the three counts. Uh, but it was just, it was just perfectly done. Um, and they totally. Should, should I say I'm a sure timer? Dave Meltzer probably did <laughs> while watching you know, it. So I'm sure I'll be in the wrestling observer. Um, but uh, they, the crowd bought this match hook, line and sinker. So it really caught them off guard. And, you know, and, uh, Cole demands like five more minutes to which, you know, MJF responds by just rolling out of the ring and grabbing his title and walking up the ramp. So um, this obviously isn't over with. Um, but, you know, right now I could see mm-hmm. Cole 
having to like you know fight his way back up the ranks to earn a title shot and you know chase mjf until then so um just damn good shit after this there was a video package showcasing the upcoming return of cm punk so i'm guessing this is the footage that uh that was shot the week of all the drama with you know the upfronts with you know punk's name getting pulled off all of the press um releases um we heard that you know they you know AEW like shot a bunch of footage and everything like that in chicago with him so i'm assuming that's what this was um it was well done um he definitely uh pushed the point that you know we would be hearing from him um you know because we do know that he's going to be in the main event but i think they're trying to get across that yeah you know we know what you're really looking for is you know you know punk on the mic and that's what you're gonna get so not only we're getting a match but you know we're hearing punk on the mic for the first time so and you know in this promo he says that he's got a lot to get off his chest which apparently so much so that he did an interview with espn which is supposed to be dropping on friday we're recording this on thursday so um it, it supposedly got the locker room up in arms like whatever he says on this uh podcast or interview um i'm assuming since aw okayed this you know and i guess we're monitoring the interview that it was all greenlit by Tony Khan, and, and it's probably just an elaborate work to drum up interest for Collision, um, since, you know, Collision's debut is literally the next day. But you got to give him a lot of credit for, you know, doing whatever it takes to get people's eyes on that show. So um, I'm curious to see what the interview is about. Um, I'm curious to see, like, exactly what he can say, what he can't say. Um, we've heard that there's been a lot of NDAs signed recently um so i don't even know if he can even address the whole elite situation um so i don't know i don't know i think it'll be very clear like once we hear the interview whether or not it's a legit shoot or not so um but yeah yeah hopefully this doesn't all blow up in their face but you know like but like I said before, I'm I'm not holding my breath at all. I wouldn't be surprised by anything at this point. I mean, I'm assuming Collision's going to start with the Punk, you know, promo. Oh yeah, it has to be, especially if he's in the uh, main events, right? Yeah, I would assume that's the case because you want to hook people right away. So, and that's what the majority of people will be tuning in for. So hopefully, you know, and I know they announced some of the matches already. You know, you know, it leads to people realizing that this isn't a rampage situation, that this mm -hmm. is actually, you know, an A show, another A show. So, um, cause that's supposedly how they're supposed to be booking it. Um, I think a lot of people right now, you know, gauging from like ticket sales, um, when it comes to these collision shows are kind of, you know, they've kind of been burnt by rampage. Um, cause you know, for months before rampage debuted, we kept on hearing, oh yeah, this is going to be an A show. This is going to be another A show. And once it, you know, showed up besides those first couple episodes, it was evidently clear that it was not an A show. Um, you know, and later on, like all of a sudden, like Khan kind of like was playing revisionist history and he started saying, oh, well, I always, I always said that it was supposed to be, you know, akin to like Sunday night heat. And I was like, no, no, you fucking didn't. <laughs> I listened to all your interviews. That's not what oh. you were fucking saying. Now, it very much is very much in that vein of Sunday Night Heat. And 
that's totally fine, but don't bullshit me. <laughs> like that's not what you said at first. So I like I don't blame people for, you know, being a little hesitant to buy tickets at this point. Um, because, you know, Rampage at best has been hit or miss. Uh like lately, they've been kind of like picking up the steam. Um, you know, and putting on a hell of a show. And to top but, things off, knowing yeah. this is supposed to be CM Punk's show, you know, if everything's centered around him. It feels like that situation's so unpredictable, so it feels like you're kind of sitting on a powder keg and that could blow up at any point. So, like, you don't want to buy a ticket for a show where, you know, your main star might not actually be on. So I can yeah. understand why people are kind of taking, like, a wait-and-see stance when it comes to Collision. Um, but hopefully they're able to sell those tickets. Um, but anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, up next, we had Sammy Guevara coming out to the ring. Uh, they're really trying to push Sammy as a baby face uh, and the crowd's 50 50 at best at this mm. point with him he was definitely getting some cheers but he was also definitely getting some boos uh which is never a good thing especially when like they're booing the announcement you know that you're having a baby girl like <laughs> it was like jesus christ people have a heart but yeah uh renee and sammy are interrupted by darby allen Darby comes out and congratulates Sammy on the baby announcement. Um, you know, he mentions, you know, how the crowd is in love with Sammy again, even though they were, they clearly weren't <laughs> not, uh, at least not all of them. Uh, so that was a little awkward. Uh, Cause you know, half the crowd booed when Darby said that. Uh, but yeah, basically Darby was saying, like, I don't know if I believe it or not. You need to make a choice here. Like, are you going to continue, you know, aligning yourself with, you know, JAS, with Jericho and, you know, crew? Um, or are you going to make a full break and, you know, do the right thing and be your own man? Um, this, of course, brought out Jericho, who interrupted uh, Guevara and Darby. Um, Jericho was in full heel mode here. He even cut off his music, making sure that the crowd was booing his ass. Um, but yeah, Jericho, you know, talked to Guevara saying that he was surprised that, you know, during that entire like three month period when he was chasing after MJF, that he didn't once call Jericho looking for help. Um, Guevara turned the tables on uh, Jericho and said, well, I'm surprised after your two losses against Cole, you didn't <laughs> give me a call looking for help. Uh, this obviously was to the chagrin of Jericho. Jericho said, well, you got to remember the dynamic here. And then he went ahead and tried to book uh, the sex gods match uh, against Darby. This um, actually brought out Sting, which got a huge pop. Sting out of the ring and got in the face of Jericho, which was a pretty cool visual because I don't think we've ever seen these guys work a program before. So um, I had a feeling this was coming, though, because on social media this past week, someone asked Jericho, which I'm sure was a plant, you know, whether or not, you know, something along the lines, would he ever work with Stig? And Jericho, like, you know, heavy handedly said he has no interest in, you know, being in the ring with Sting. Mm. So um, but yeah, it looks like, you know, this is setting up a match between uh, Jericho and Guevara versus, you know, Sting and Darby. And I believe that's taking place next week. And I could be wrong, but I believe that's actually taking place next you know, week. So that's a that's a huge match. 
After this, we had a video from our IWGP champion, Sonata, issuing an open challenge for the IWGP title at Forbidden Door. Yeah, I mean, this was a nice surprise, and uh, the open challenge was later on accepted by Jungle Boy. Uh, who was backstage doing an interview with Hook. They're definitely still teasing a heel turn for Jungle Boy. Um, during the interview, there was an awkward moment where, like, Jungle Boy mentions that, you know, Hook's his best friend and he wants him to be ringside with him uh, during his match. Um, you could tell this kind of, like, I don't know. And I don't know if I'm reading into it, but it felt like it kind of caught Hook off guard. Uh, but Hook agreed. So... I don't know if it's going to happen at Forbidden Door, but I, I feel like, you know, when Jungle Boy loses the match and he's definitely going to lose this match, um, there's going to be at least a, a tease of a heel turn. Uh, you know, another moment where it looks like, you know, he's lining up to like attack Hook and, you know, whether or not he pulls the trigger is, you know, another story. But I feel like we're going to get a moment like that here. So it, it's eventually coming you know, Jungle Boy is definitely going to be stabbing Hook in the back, you know, sometime soon. It's just a matter of when. I can't come up with a good Hook pun there, but there, there's one. There's one that exists, I'm sure. sure. <laughs> if you say so, for sure. Um, after that, we had the AEW International Champion Orange Cassidy with alongside Darby Allin and Sting and Keith Lee defeating the Mogul Embassy. So this was a bit of a clusterfuck. Um there's just a few moments where it felt like people were getting lost in the match and, you know, <laughs> didn't know exactly what was coming next. Um, hmm. There was a few spots with Sting and one of the Gates of Agony that just didn't look great. Um, but at the end of the day, it was still pretty damn entertaining. Um, they did absolutely nothing to set up a match between uh, Swerve and Keith Lee, which I was really disappointed in. Like, I felt like since Keith Lee was just added to this match that, you know, that was the reason why. Um, and there were rumors swirling that, you know, we could be possibly getting the, you know, Keith Lee and Swerve match finally at Collision um, this week. But that wasn't set up at all. So I don't know what the fuck's going on. It's very strange at this point. It kind of feels like just a big rib by Tony Khan, you know, on fans. Because, <laughs> like, what the hell's the holdup? Um, but regardless... I mean, like I said, the match was fun. Um, Brian Cage was paying homage to Surfer Sting, but it was funny because he totally looked like one of the Road Warriors out there. To the point where, like, I didn't even understand what the hell he was wearing. Like, I was literally like, why is he fucking dressed up like Hawk? Like, I don't understand what's happening there. <laughs> and then I, like, slowly put it together. Uh, but yeah, no, fun match. I mean, regardless of, you know, a few hiccups. After this, we had an interview in the back with the Guns. Yeah, they're definitely teasing that they're going to be somehow affiliated with uh, Bullet Club Gold. They were dressed in all black. When Renee asked them, they kind of played dumb. They also made a challenge to the Hardys, which I guess is going to be taking place next week. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we're going to find out that they're affiliated with Jay White and, you know, Juice Robinson, you know, as soon as you know collision honestly because i could see them attacking ftr on the show yeah after this we had wardlow defending his tnt title by defeating jake hager i mean this was fine but i don't know it's my least favorite thing on the card um you know like i i just didn't even understand the point of this match it's not like there's any kind of like heat between you know hager and wardlow 
know, besides yeah. their past together. It, it just kind of feels like a match for match sake. The announcers did point out that this was kind of a rubber match of sorts for the two. But I mean, this was something no one was asking for. So it's like, OK, <laughs> like that feud was like over a year ago, if not two during the match. 2.0 came out to interfere, which brought out um, Arn Anderson and Brock. Um, they chased 2.0 off. Uh, after Wardlow got the pin, Christian and Luchasaurus uh, appeared on the screen uh, with no audio. So we yet again had a classic AEW, you know, production botch. Um, they eventually got on the right page and uh, got the audio working again. Um, Christian uh, accepted the challenge on uh, Luchasaurus's behalf uh, to face off against Wardlow on uh, the uh, premiere episode of Collision. In doing so, he mentions that Wardlow's new daddy won't be there to save him, referring to Arn Anderson. The camera then pans down to reveal Anderson busted wide open. Um, I have no clue how the fuck Anderson got from point A to point B so quickly, but <laughs> it is what it is. He's as fast as a bullet. Apparently. He'd pull out his imaginary gun again. I'm I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting a little tired of the Glock Anderson, you know, bits. I'll be <laughs> honest. So. Well, then after that, we had a video package from Hiroshi Tanahashi challenging MJF for the AEW World Championship. Yeah, uh, this was a little lackluster. I'm not going to lie. Like, I know AEW is probably just, you know, relying on New Japan to send them this footage. But this looked like tanahashi like recorded this like through zoom um oh god <laughs> and if that's the case then i would hope that like aw's producers then would at least you know try to like spice it up a little with like clips of tanahashi or something like that mm -hmm. like i don't know like we're just watching the sky in his like sweats like you know making a challenge and you know wow, they really didn't cut away to no, like any of his like matches no, like or anything he's like, like wow. literally on his couch or something at home like <laughs> i was like this doesn't make the match feel important at all like i'm not sold on this match and like it's weird to me too because i feel like yeah tanahashi's a big deal and everything like that but he's definitely on the tail end of his career and we already saw him get a title match at like last year's forbidden door so i was hoping that someone else would you know step up and make a challenge to mjf um, like Naito, but I'm guessing that they probably are protecting Naito at this point and they don't want him to take a loss on pay-per-view. So, um, you know, I get it. I mean, it's not going to be the main event, uh, I'm assuming. I I'm guessing that's probably going to either be Kenny versus Ospreay or Brian versus Okada. Um, so it is what it is. I mean, I it's still going to be a fantastic match at the end of the day. Mm. I just feel like this could have been, I don't know, presented a little better. It is wild that there is going to be two world championship matches, though, and I don't imagine them either being, you know, the main event. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Um, I think it's just, I don't know. I think part of it is, like, they realize that no one's going to believe that either one of the contenders are going to go over here. Uh -huh. So that's probably why. And they know they already have like two big dream matches, you know, in the chamber for the crowd. So, you know, you want your champions featured, but why like pretend that, you know, it's a main event caliber match when it clearly is. We had Renee in the back talking with Orange Cassidy. Yeah. Renee mentions that she's surprised that no one's come out and challenged Orange yet, since that's kind of the formula at this point. 
you know, on a weekly basis. Um, uh, and then, of course, out walks Zack Sabre Jr. Now, we had a good idea that this match was actually taking place because um, uh, Orange mentioned Zack Sabre Jr. during his press conference at Double or Nothing. Um, so it looks like it's happening. We know Sabre Jr. has been in the States for a while working New Japan strong. So, I mean, this should be a really fun, you know, styles clash. So I'm looking forward to this match. Um, but we did have Daniel Garcia come out mentioning how he wouldn't mind, uh, getting his hands on the, uh, pure title, um, which of course Shibata holds currently. Um, this all kind of sets up a match between Cassidy and Shibata versus uh, Saber and Garcia, which is going to take place next week. Up next, we had Tony Storm defeating Sky Blue to retain her AEW women's title. You know, I gotta say, like, I was definitely skeptical when I saw Sky Blue become number one contender on Rampage. Um, and it yeah. was it was a pretty good match overall. Um, but this was, you know, a hell of a match. Uh, Sky Blue has really been showing a lot of growth in the ring of late. Um, you know, and, you know, the way this match was structured, it really got fans on the edge of their seats. So much so that there was actually like a couple moments where I actually believe Sky Blue could pull off the victory, um, which is crazy to say. Uh, you know, at one point, uh, Ruby, uh, who was on the outside of the ring, of course, with Tony, um, sprayed mm. Sky's mom with the spray paint in the eyes. Wow. Um, but like, then Sky turned the tables on them and actually had her own spray paint and spray Tony in the eyes um, when the ref wasn't looking. And it, you know, it looked like she could possibly pick up the pin um, and get the win. But uh, then Ruby, of course, you know, distracted the referee. So she got like the visual like three count on Tony. Um, but then at the end of the day, you know, Tony uh, ended up hitting her pile driver, which is just a fucking brutal move. I love her finisher um, and, you know, ended up, you know, retaining the belt. But, you know, this is the kind of match that they could really build on for Sky. And I think, you know, she's leveled up now as a competitor, at least in AEW fans eyes. I'm happy to hear because I'm, you know, I don't need to see Sky Blue losing every single week. Hopefully they start to build her, you know, victories as well. But this leads into our main event. We had the Young Bucks and Hangman going up against John Moxley, Claudio, and Wheeler Yuta, better known as the BCC. This was literally just a balls-to-the-wall circus match. Uh, the Elite were just flying around, especially fucking Hangman, which, I mean... I'm so tired of people sleeping on Hangman. Like, it's time that people start recognizing Hangman as, like, one of the best wrestlers in the world. Because <laughs> he's just fucking clicking on all cylinders right now. Uh, he was really just putting his body on the line. Just showing that he can work any style. Um, and, well, uh, just the mm -hmm. dynamic between him and Moxley, too. Like, this fucking feud between Moxley and Hangman has been going on for I think six months at this point, right? Because it everything yeah. started between those two, right? Like we had the whole fucking program where like um, Hangman got knocked out, you know, on accident. You know, there was a real situation, but then they went ahead and booked the program around it. And, you know, Hangman knocked out Moxley and we had the big death match between the two. Uh, that That's how this whole feud started with, you know, the elite and, you know, the BCC. So it's just crazy to think that it's like come this far. Um, you know, they're definitely leading to blood and guts. 
you know, the Hung Bucks picked up the win here. Um, but like I said, we saw everything in this fucking match. Um, you know, the ref had no control whatsoever. Everyone was hitting all their spots. Um, but like the crowd was just on fire the entire match. I think it was about 12 minutes long. Um, but just nonstop action. Um, you know, the, the Hunk Bucks, like I said, picked up the win. Um, they get attacked by BCC afterwards. This brought out Eddie Kingston to a giant fucking pop. Um, I didn't realize he was healthy. I know he was having, I believe, hernia surgery. I could have that wrong. Or he had a herniated disc, something like that. Where It seemed like he was going to be on the shelf for a while. Um, he was, you know, going after Claudio uh, for the ROH title um, on that show. Um, so I guess this was just kind of like continuing that feud. Uh, but he chased off Claudio and Wheeler, but that brought him face to face with Moxley. And the guys, both guys kind of stared each other down, but they didn't get physical whatsoever. The Bucks came in and, you know, jumped Moxley from behind. Eddie got upset by this and actually pulled the Bucks off of Moxley. Um, and they kind of had a short little confrontation uh, before um, Eddie got into it with Claudio again. Uh, Takeshita came out, though, to a chorus of fucking booze. Uh, you know, he had, of course, you know, callus in tow. So I'm sure that was part of it. But... Takeshita is definitely getting over as a heel. Um, you know, he took out the elite, but then that brought out fucking Kenny Omega. Um, the crowd went fucking absolutely batshit when Omega arrived. <laughs> he cleared house. Um, but then all of a sudden he's in the middle of the ring and he's getting super kicked by Osprey. I mean, this is really like the craziest five minutes of AEW TV I think we've <laughs> ever gotten. Um, because like when Osprey arrived, it just felt like the crowd was like, going to explode like <laughs> uh and they were super hot all night like i said but like this was like next level uh but the show went off the air with osprey hitting one more hidden blade on omega and that was the end of the insanity um but like i said this did nothing but sell tickets to you know collision and fucking forbidden door um, although Forbidden Door is sold out, so I mean, I guess I should say pay. Although I guess that's impossible because Forbidden Door is sold out, I believe. Um, so I, I guess I should say pay-per-view buys because, I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, I know the show didn't do well in the ratings this week, which is unfortunate. Um, but I feel like this is the kind of show that really could start, like, building momentum again for AEW. Um, where they could get that buzz back behind the product. Um, you know, especially if they continue and follow up with the show with another fantastic show. Yeah. So um, this got me like incredibly excited for, you know, this summer and, you know, everything that they got in store for us. So, um, yeah, like I said, if you haven't you know checked out this dynamite, I highly recommend doing so. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to catch up before next week's episode because just so I, so I can keep up with the storylines, at least with that much going on in one episode. <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm really curious to see, like, exactly how Kingston is going to factor in all of this. Like, is he going to align himself with the elite um, in similar fashion to how he kind of aligned himself with the BCC for the last uh, Blood and Guts match? Um, you know, and they're going to kind of play with the whole idea of, like, you know, will he be willing to come to blows with Moxley? Um, you know, or is he really, you know, with the elite or is he going to turn on them? But I mean, things have been so hot between him and Claudio. I can't imagine that happening. Um, I think everyone kind of 
don't know. I mean, everyone's kind of speculating, like, you know, that Ibushi or even Okada would be involved in that match. I can't imagine Okada, you know, uh, in a Blood and Guts match. Um, but I could definitely see Ibushi showing up. But if they need another body, you know, why not use Kingston? I mean, he's still incredibly over with the crowd. It just it yes. feels like they're really underutilizing him over on ROH. So hopefully, like, he's back with AEW. Like, they were doing so many weird storylines with him. You remember, like, he had everything going on with, like, the House of Black and shit. And, like, uh, Ortiz. And, and then he just, like, quit and he left and, you know, showed up on ROH TV, like, like literally the next week. Um, it, it just, I don't know. It, it There was a bunch of storylines that just felt like they were going nowhere. So mm-hmm. I, I want him part of the main roster, you know, if we can, you know have that happen it feels like really he's been in the doghouse since the whole like sammy Guevara situation um you know which is unfortunate so i don't know if that's really the case but that i don't know that's kind of the optics of everything you know because ever since that happened like it doesn't feel like he's been a featured player on dynamite whatsoever so um hopefully that changes because i mean the dude is fucking over with this audience and you know he has the potential to be one of their top stars if they get behind him. Um, hopefully they pull the trigger soon. But now that you've mentioned it, I totally want to see what Okada would be like in a Blood Guts match. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. I'd love to see Okada. I just don't know if New Japan's willing to lend Okada for a match oh, like that. <laughs> most likely <Yeah>. not. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it would be amazing. And we know that, you know, just recently Omega and Okada teamed up together in New Japan. So, I mean, mm. why the fuck not, right? Like, if you can get him, get him. But like I said, I don't think New Japan's lending out Okada to AEW for a match like that. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Ha, 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 ha.